can operate from one of three different I call them mind levels. The idea behind these mind levels comes from the field of developmental psychology. So in developmental psychology, we've learned that as children go from infancy to adulthood, they go through a number of different developmental stages. And they do so rather automatically. It's essentially a function of age. And about 50 years ago, researchers in this field, or some researchers, started to ask the question, well, can adults develop? And if so, do they go through different developmental stages? And what they found is that yes, adults can develop. Yes, there are different adult development stages, but that most adults, adults actually don't develop. Hi friends, welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Well, that was Ryan Gottfriedson. Ryan is an associate professor of business at Cal State Fullerton, and he's the author of an interesting book titled The Elevated Leader, Level Up Your Leadership Through Vertical Development. And in our conversation today, we talk about why there are limitations in the leadership development space, as well as in the <laughs> development of sellers, that prevent people from being successful at elevating themselves or their teams. Now, we dig into the unspoken problems affecting leadership development, which is why are most leaders not very effective and why leadership development is largely broken. Then we explore a possible solution that Ryan writes about in his book, which is that it's a perspective I think that we should adopt for enabling sellers and sales leaders alike. And in this case, we're talking about switching from a model of horizontal development, which focuses on doing what Ryan says is downloading new knowledge, skills, or abilities onto a person to one of vertical development, which is focused on elevating a seller's ability or a leader's ability to make meaning of their world in more cognitively and emotionally sophisticated ways. It's a very interesting approach. Again, something I think is very applicable to sales development so or development of sellers. So we get into all that and much, much more. But before we get to Ryan, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So thank you for that. And let's jump into it with Ryan Gottfriedson. Ryan, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back. I must have done something right the first time <laughs> is to be back. So this is great. Yeah, yeah, we did. Actually, it's, it's funny. I was going through, I don't know, the records, quote unquote, the records, uh, the archives uh, earlier this week. And it's like, yeah, people yeah, people do a good job, come back frequently. I have one, one guest uh, I think he's been on the show eight times, nine times. So, um, yeah, got a ways to go, but uh, perhaps we'll get there. So, <laughs> yeah, not, not not quite there yet. Hopefully, one day. Yeah. But uh, more books. You're busy. You're putting out great stuff. Well, it's, it's an honor to be a part of. So, it. yeah. All right. Well, we are going to talk about your your newest book uh, that's just out called "The Elevated Leader: uh, Level Up Your Leadership Through Vertical Development." But before that, why don't you? Fill people in, maybe people didn't hear the first episode you're on, but tell us about you and what you do. Yeah, so I'm a leadership professor at Cal State Fullerton. And if you haven't heard of Cal State Fullerton, that's fine. Uh, but we do have <laughs> yeah. the second largest business school in the United States. So really? um, it's great to be a part of that. Yeah. Wow. So Okay, didn't know that. Yeah. So we've got a pretty big operation, um, and then that allows me to do some really deep dives in both my research and teaching focused on leadership and really personal development. Uh, and, and that's where my books come out of. So first book was Success Mindsets that hit the Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestseller list. And then I've got my new book out, The Elevated Leader, and excited to see what happens to that as it hits the universe. Yeah. Well, I, as you know, I really enjoyed Success Mindsets. I think you did a great job, sir. For at least for me, is is 
creating a real picture of how mindsets work and, you know, sort of sitting at opposite ends of a spectrum and a continuum. Uh, I sort of invoke that imagery in, in my book as well. Um, so that's a good one. I recommend people. And, and this book also, as you and I were talking before we started recording, also very interesting because it addresses, uh, addresses an issue, which I think is, is one that a lot of people sort of, I don't know, I don't say struggle with, but think about is, yeah, how do we, how do we help people develop in ways that, that aren't perhaps as tangible uh, outwardly uh, or as measurable, perhaps even outwardly, but are really essential to ultimate success? And I think both of these books, I, I would like to think, of course, I'm biased, but they, pre- they both present different frameworks that allow us to put labels on things. And there's a lot of power in doing yeah. that because when we have labels for things, then we could introspect about them, mm-hmm. right? You're probably familiar with the phrase, you got to name it to tame it. <laughs> and, and I think that there's a lot of, at least I felt that right. for myself in my own personal development. And so I, I think what, what this book does, it allows people to ask and answer several questions that they would that most people never even ask themselves. Like the, the primary question that this book allows us to ask and answer is, what is my vertical altitude? Well, and so, and, and, yeah, so you're gonna have to give some background to that so people yep. understand, but yeah, continue. Yeah. So in it, what, what we're referring to when we say vertical altitude is what is the level of cognitive and emotional sophistication that I deal with. So just as we could stack people up from shortest to tallest, if I had a group of people in a room, I could literally stack them up from least cognitively and emotionally sophisticated and to most cognitively and emotionally sophisticated. Mm-hmm. And the science suggests that if we look at just all adults overall, two thirds of those people are very low in cognitive and emotional sophistication. That doesn't make them bad people. They're very nice people. I'm, you know, I have a lot of family members who aren't very cognitively and emotionally sophisticated, and I like them a lot. Uh, but it just, when we aren't very cognitively and emotionally sophisticated, it inhibits our ability to be effective in whatever we're trying to do. And so if we can awaken to where we are at, identify what it looks like to operate at a higher level, then we could start the process of moving the needle there. Right. So what it really speaks to, and I'm, I sort of, you know, reading the book, obviously with a sales and a sales leadership lens on it, but it, and the lessons apply absolutely and directly to it. But that there's, I would say summarizing some degree, there's, there's a limit to the value of skill-based development. And yep. in most cases, we probably have reached that limit already for many people. And I think in sales is a perfect example is, is virtually all sales training is really focused on skill-based training and development. Yeah. And you know, as one author I enjoy having on my show talks about basically saying, yeah, why are we still doing that? You know, for every additional dollar we're investing in it, we're getting you know, five cents return or negative return, right? Because we're trying to fill a vessel that's already filled with that particular type of, of knowledge, if you will. And that's not what's yeah. holding people back. Yeah. Can I give you a metaphor that might work there? Sure, sure, sure. 
All right. So what you're talking about and the way that I talk about it in the book is, is the skill-based training is what we would call horizontal development. Yes. Right? That's that's adding knowledge and skills. That's one type of development. There's another type of development, which we'll, which we'll dive into. But when I think about horizontal development, it's a lot like adding an app onto an iPad. Yeah, I like that. The metaphor is a good it, one. Yeah. Which is, which is great because when we add a new app onto the iPad, that broadens that iPad's functionality. But, but, and that's what we oftentimes try to do with our sales training is I want to download the sales app onto you. And once and then we kind of just assume is once you have that app, you're going to be effective. But, but here's the thing is I've got a downstairs in my house, I've got two iPads. One iPad is new. The other iPad is now eight years old. No, oh. my, my, my new iPad, I've got no issues with it, right? I download, I go to the app store. I could download whatever app I want with my eight year old iPad. I go to the app store and I try to download an app and I get an error message. And it says the app you are trying to download is essentially too sophisticated for your iPad's operating system. And I think a lot of times what, what we what happens in sales training, sales manager training is we're downloading good apps onto them, but we aren't investigating what is the quality of their operating system. Mm-hmm. Are they actually able to take this training in and implement it in a really effective way? And that that's, I think, something that we're neglecting is how sophisticated are our salespeople's or sales managers' internal operating systems. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. I, I, I sort of, yeah, when you do your vertical versus horizontal, I tend to think of quadrants, right? Um, but I don't know if you meant, if you may ever take it that direction, but that is, I think the challenge is you described really well is that people, I think certainly in the sales world, we're tending to default to things that are, more easily knowable, right? I mean, I, I can mm-hmm. I can quantify something. I've got all this data. Uh, yeah. But you're really talking about things, when you talk about, you know, cognitive sophistication and, you know, conceptual thinking, divergent thinking, these other things that, qualities that come from that is like, makes a lot of people uncomfortable because it's like, well, I can't measure that. Yeah. Because what we're, what we're doing as we, as we talk about, so, Horizontal development is what we're doing. And what we're missing is what we call vertical development, which is upgrading our internal operating system. And and I think just a really simple way to communicate the difference between them is horizontal development is about helping us do more. Right. Vertical development is about helping us be better. So it's a difference in focus from a changing of doing to a changing of being. Yeah which naturally is much deeper and to your point, harder to measure, harder to assess, but vitally more important. Yeah. I mean, I think about, it could be in any job. We've, you know, obviously we've seen a big shift in things over the last couple of years, great resignation, quote unquote. But, um, you know, people are sort of uninspired, let's say by, by work is, disengage perhaps. And I think to some degree, you know, and obviously there's, and you write about this in the book is, you know, the responsibility of, or the, the contribution of management to that. But I think also down at the individual level is it's not just for me, as thinking about this, it's not just purely from a leadership perspective, but also, you know, as an individual, 
investing and taking control of their own situation is, yeah, thinking about in this context is that the things that are sort of, I don't say holding me back, but that I find frustrating because maybe I can't achieve at the level I want to achieve is not because I don't know how to do X, Y, Z things, right? It's really this mm-hmm. different dimension is I really don't know how to think about X, Y, Z things in a different way. Yeah. So what what one of the things that I lay out in the book is that there what research has found is that people can operate from one of three different, I call them mind levels. Right. And the idea behind these mind levels comes from the field of developmental psychology. So in developmental psychology, we've learned that as children go from infancy to adulthood, they go through a number of different developmental stages. And they do so rather automatically. It's essentially a function of age. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and about 50 years ago, researchers in this field, or some researchers, started to ask the question, well, can adults develop? And if so, do they go through different developmental stages? And what they found is that, yes, adults can develop. Yes, there are different adult development stages, but that most adults, adults actually don't develop. Because so what we've learned because of why though so what we've learned is that in childhood development is a function of age but in adulthood it really becomes a function of effort and, and so part of it is we don't have the effort I might even argue we don't have the awareness to even engage in the effort right because I would agree with that. And, and so when we when we walk through the three different mind levels. Right. We can get a sense, okay, where, what is my vertical altitude? But I think we could also see why so many people get stuck at the lower levels. So do you care if we walk through those different levels? Okay. So at the the bottom level, this is what I call mind 1.0, or I'll also call it good soldier mode. Mm -hmm. So this is where we, we kind of want to be doers. We want to be team players. We want, we want, you know, to contribute. But we also don't want to lead out. Right. So because when we're here and at each of these different levels, our body's internal operating system is programmed to fulfill different needs. And at this mind 1.0 level, our needs are for safety, comfort and belonging. So we just want to so, go along to get along. Right. And we want to join the organization or groups or tribes, whatever it might be. Um, and we want to join the groups that will help us to feel safe, comfortable, and belong. And, and to the degree to which they do so, then we will do what they tell us to do. Mm-hmm. Right? So I don't want to take charge. You just tell me what to do, and I will do it, provided you keep me safe, comfortable, and feeling like I belong. And, and so we, what I was just going to interject is that, and for some people, and for some people, that's okay. Right? Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Yep. Yeah. But oftentimes when we're working with salespeople, right, what we're encouraging them to do is we put them through these trainings is to do things that inherently to them don't feel safe, comfortable, or like they belong. Every day. Right. We might say, you've got to go knock on doors Mm -hmm. or make phone calls. And we're just like, that feels really uncomfortable. And and so there's a lot of, it's a neurosystem resistance in our body when we operate at that level. And so the organization is feeling our people aren't stepping up to the challenge. Well, it's because they aren't necessarily wired to do so. Mm -hmm. They just want to stay safe, comfortable, and belong. 
Um, and so what research has found is that 64% of all adults operate at this mine 1.0 level, at this good soldier level. So that's mine one point. Yeah, and and at that and to that point is I said for many some percentage of those. Yeah, maybe you have the data on it, but that's said they're living a happy happy life at that level. Yeah, I think a lot of them are feeling a certain degree of stuckness, but they they are they are trying to stay safe, comfortable, and right. feel like they belong. Right. And, and some some people are feeling that some people aren't, but um, yeah, I think most of them at some level feel stuck. But acknowledging they feel stuck, knowing that the price they have to pay to be feel unstuck is a lack of safety. Precisely, yeah, vulnerability. very well they have articulated. To make themselves vulnerable in order to get unstuck. So okay, yeah. And that, that leads us to the mind 2.0 level, because when we, when, when somebody steps up to the mind 2.0 level, their needs dramatically change. Here, our needs are to stand out, advance and get ahead. Right. In fact, we're willing to be unsafe, uncomfortable and not belong in order to stand out, advance and get ahead. And this is where we see people shift from being more of a, a good soldier and a dependent thinker to being a progress maker and an independent thinker. We kind of have our own ideas. We want to take charge. We actually want to lead out. These are our go-getters, right? We become go-getters. We're driven. We're, we're willing to you know, do the uncomfortable mm-hmm. things to get the outcomes and the results that we're focused on. Okay. But- so we become at that mind 2.0 really outcome oriented. All right. Yeah. And I'll, we'll come back to it from a sales perspective because I would argue that, and you and I start touching on this earlier, is, yeah, they're not getting the outcomes that, that they want. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah. It, if they are getting those outcomes, they're oftentimes feeling really forced. Um, like it, it's, we're having to pull this out and it, it's a pretty strenuous process. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, so that's mine 2.0 and 35% of all adults operate here. of executives operate here. They're really outcome and results oriented. So that's mind 2.0. The mind 3.0 level, we're going to see another significant shift in the needs that we're wired to fulfill. So at this mind 3.0 level, this is where we shift from being a progress maker to being a value creator. Mm -hmm. Our needs are to contribute, add value, and lift others. In fact, we're willing to be um, we're willing to not stand out, not get ahead in order to contribute, add value and lift others. So when we're here, we're not dependent thinkers. We're not independent thinkers. We are interdependent thinkers. We, um, one of the ways, I, I guess one of the ways to describe this is we become more process oriented as opposed to outcome oriented. So let me let me give you an example sure. of this. I was working with a sales organization uh, this last week, and I asked them what their purpose was. And they said, our purpose is, uh, they've got this corporate purpose, and it was something along the lines of, we want to ensure prosperity of ourselves so that our customers will be better off. And I thought that was... Backwards. That was interesting. <laughs> I think it's backwards, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm like, so I asked them, well, what comes first in that purpose statement, you or your customers? 
And they said, well, well, us, we, we've got to be prosperous before our customers can be prosperous. I was like, well, that's an interesting way to think about it, but can, let me just throw up an alternative and you tell me which one feels more accurate to you. And I said, what if, what if we were to say the more prosperous our customers are, the more prosperous we mm-hmm. will be. Like the more prosperous we can help our customers to be, the more prosperous right. we will be. Is that more accurate or is what you have more accurate? And they're like, oh my goodness. Right. And, but that's the value creator mode. Like the, the, we need to be prosperous and that'll benefit our customers. That's the mind 2.0. We need to hit our outcomes. And when we hit our outcomes, that's good for our people. The mind 3.0 is no, we need to elevate and contribute, lift and, and add value to our customers. And to the degree that we do that, naturally, the outcomes will take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. So a lot of salespeople, this is my experience. You push back against against this if you want, Andy. But my experience is that sales managers, sales leaders, we really like numbers. We right. like to measure stuff and we like to focus on the outcomes and the results. And, and that's the emphasis as opposed to the processes that go into it. So oftentimes we're more focused on effectively like pulling out the numbers from our salespeople as opposed to cultivating an environment that allows them to thrive. Exactly. Yeah. No, and I, I write about this in my book is, is yeah, I think sales leaders, sales managers, let's say tend to fall into one of two camps. I, I call them sales leaders or just sales bosses, right? And the, the sales mm-hmm. bosses are, are the ones you talked about, sort of the mind 2.0, um, mindset whereas the leaders are really fall in the camp of your mind 3.0 where it's it's hey i know that if i can get help you as a salesperson get what's most important to you in life then i'll get what's most important to me i mean it's it's possible so what am i yeah sir from adam grant you know talks about being a uh a giver with an agenda, right? Yes. Yep. So you can be a giver, yeah. but you can also have an agenda that's that has some level of self-interest in it, and that's perfectly okay. So there's a couple of things that come to mind as we're talking about this. One is a personal experience as a customer. Um, so so about, I don't know, eight months ago, nine months ago, I guess it is now, um, we bought a new car. Yeah. We, we, got, the, we got our dream car, which is great, um, but... but the dealership sent me an email afterwards and they said, rate our customer service. And I, and I gave them a three stars out of five. Okay. And literally within 10 minutes of me submitting my results, I got three phone calls back to back. Like the first two times I just put them to ignore because right. I never answer the phone to numbers I don't know. Right. And, and then finally it's like the third call. I'm like, okay, this must be urgent. And I answer the phone and it's the dealership. Right. And they're saying almost hostile, like, why did you give us three stars? What can we do to get, have you give us five stars? And I said, look, while I love the vehicle we got, the whole entire time, I never felt like a person to you. Mm-hmm. I felt like an object mm-hmm. to you. It was really stressful. You put a lot of pressure on me that I didn't think that was necessary. And, and I just didn't have a great experience buying a car with you. Right. And, and to me, this is, they're operating a mind 2.0. We got to hit our numbers. We don't care how the customer feels, but we got our numbers. 
And, and I just wish I would have had a dealership that was more of a partner. I felt like more of a partner as opposed to a dollar sign. Yeah. Well, I mean, this, this idea that you're talking about is, is the buying experience, right? And, and increasingly this people are becoming aware of the importance of this, you know, and, and there've been books written that, you know, say, Hey, the uh, majority of a buyer's purchase decisions based upon their experience with the salesperson. I mean, in your case, you sort of soldiered through it, but oftentimes, certainly the B2B world, that's not the case at all. And yeah. buyers say, look, we've got a lot of choice and, uh, yeah, we don't need to deal with you if this experience is, as you said, feeling pressured and you know pressurized and you know persuasion driven and you know trying to manipulate me into getting the deal done. Yeah, and the other thought that comes to mind that is hopefully helpful is, I think one of the things about Mind 3.0 people is what I found is that they're really connected to a purpose about creating value for mm-hmm. others. Um, there, there's a sales group that I've been working with that is in the medical sales space. And, and I asked them, what is, what is their, what is their purpose? And every time I ask them that question, they talk about how their purpose is for creating health for the patient. And that's great. And, And ultimately I think that that's, that's good. But I said, do you, to the sales reps, do you ever talk to the patient? And they said, no, we don't ever talk to the patient. We are always talking to the the doctor. The doctor is their customer. Mm -hmm. And so they've got a purpose that that is different than their primary customer. And I'm not saying they neglect the patient, but but what I would encourage what I encourage them to do is what if you were to think about the doctor more and how you can create greater value for the doctor and the doctor's customers? And then that the more you can make the doctor successful, then the better off the customers are going to be. And they had a really they, they were just having a really hard time connecting with a purpose uh, related to their primary stakeholder, and and that that just inhibited them from being in a position in which they could create value. Yeah, they they just really didn't even think at that level, and that speaks to the the vertical altitude that they were operating from. Oh, absolutely, and speaks a little bit to a process as well. From like, yeah, generally what you're sort of digging at, you know, people sort of refer to these days as design thinking, right? Is is we're using design thinking because we're not just look envisioning our go to market motion just through the eyes of our customer, but our customers' customers. Right. Mm -hmm. And if we can incorporate all of that and if we really understand our customers, customers, then we better understand how to serve our primary stakeholder and customer. Yes. Yep. Well said. Interesting. Yeah. I. So, well, let's. In the the few minutes we have left, though, I wanted to let's dig into how do we help people develop this mind 3.0, this this more, uh, you know, sophisticated, you know, cognitively sophisticated, emotionally sophisticated view of the world, which requires uh, embracing ambiguity to a large degree, which, which is yeah, yeah. scary for people. Um, yeah. And, and I like the way you sort of conceptualize it in the book is a yeah, quote from 
these authors, Anderson and Adams, saying the development of leadership effectiveness must at a minimum keep pace with the rate of change and the rate of escalating complexity, um, which I think is, is yeah, a really great statement, right? Is, is, yeah, if you're trying to sell, if you're trying to lead, whatever, is that you have to continue to grow at least as fast as these factors are growing within your market. Yes. Yep. And we can't, and this is one of the things that when I work with sales organizations, one of the things that they struggle with is they, they have a, they have in their mind what they believe to be a proven formula. Oh yeah. This has worked in the past and we assume that it will work in the future. But that's when we're seeing increased competition, greater complexity in the marketplace, um, rapidly changing customer interests and needs. That means that we have got to be more willing to let go of what we've done in the past and grab hold of something new that'll work in the future. Mm-hmm. And, and the people who operate at the lower vertical development altitudes really struggle with that letting go and then grabbing hold of, of the new aspect. And I, I think that speaks to hopefully adds a little bit of color around that quote and, and how we. Think yeah. About. So but how do you how do you. How do you train this, right? I mean, it's one thing to say, look, we're, we're training yeah. or develop. Well, get away from train, just say develop. Is, is, look, when I'm doing basic sales training, I get it, right? I mean, as I'm saying, yeah. as a, somebody from a, a leadership perspective, it's relatively finite, it's relatively well-defined. Uh, it fits into our process a certain way. We know it sort of somewhat works predictably yeah. at a certain level. Yeah, here we're talking about things that are much much harder, right? From a conceptual standpoint. And I sort of think of this in the context, let's say of sales, a famous book, the challenger sale, where, you know, the idea is that as a seller, you're challenging, not surprisingly, you know, the buyer in certain aspects in terms of, yeah, I think, is there a different perspective you could bring and think about the challenges that you're, or the problems you're trying to solve for. And if we bring this new perspective uh, by challenging, so your existing paradigm, yeah, we'll ultimately get, ultimately get rewarded with the business, right? Because perhaps this will have a be a outcome will be a better solution for you than the path you're heading down. Yeah, and it's like, sure, that's that's an approach that really works. I've seen lots of people use it. I've used it throughout my career, but it always sort of struck me as like, yeah, not everybody can do that. Yeah, and yeah, they're trying to. Yeah, they believe that you can train everybody to do it. I'm like, yeah, how do you though? And this because this is this is not, yeah, cookie cutter. Yeah, it isn't. But at the core is what one of the things that you said is challenge challenging our paradigms. That that's what must occur in order for vertical development to occur. Um. Because what is really helpful, I would like to think, is having some frameworks. So the first step is always awareness. Mm-hmm. We've got we got to just ask ourselves, what altitude am I operating at? And then once we have a clearer sense of that, then we could start the business of challenging our paradigms. Right. Where is this coming from? And, and, and one of the best ways, it's not the only way, but one of the best ways to challenge our paradigms is to inspect our mindsets. Mm-hmm. What are the mental lenses that we are wearing that shape how we think and operate in our world? And are they the best mindsets to have? 
So as we talked about on the previous podcast is I've got a, a mindset assessment. Yep. I've had 30,000 people take the mindset assessment. Only 2.5% are in the top quartile for the four mindsets evaluated. I, I think I was one of those, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Good. And, and so most of us have some mindset work to do. But but here's the kicker. is ever Everybody that I've met, if I ask them, do you think you have good mindsets? Mm. They'll say, yeah, regardless of whether they have negative or positive right. mindsets. The mindsets that they have feel right to them in the moment. And, and the more negative mindsets, I don't love that term negative, but really what they are is they're just less cognitively and emotionally sophisticated and they are more self-protective. Mm-hmm. So commonly in the sales groups that I work with, the the biggest um, kind of, or the, the mindset that they struggle with the most is a fixed yeah. mindset. Um, and, and ultimately, and I mean, I got an email from a sales group just, just a couple of months ago. I was working with them. They took my mindset assessment, one of these sales leaders, and then they emailed me and they said, I, I don't think I want to be a part of your session tomorrow. <laughs> your assessment results were completely wrong. Right. This is completely inaccurate. I don't, I don't think I want to be a part of right. this. And I, she seemed pretty hot. So I, I let, I let it simmer a little bit. I didn't respond. And the next morning I woke up to an email when she said, well, last night I talked to my husband and I think it would be a good thing to be a part of this workshop. Right. So she, she just had a really hard time wrapping her mind around the idea that she didn't have a growth mindset. Yeah. She's growing her business. Yep. But also what we discover when people have a fixed mindset is that they carry around usually a deep-seated fear of failing. And so they only want to do what they believe will they could be successful at. And that's the, where they hold on to what's worked in the exactly. past. They have a hard time embracing what will work. Yeah, in sort the of the, well, that's sort of like the Dunning-Kruger effect, right? Is, yep. yeah, they sort of lack the self-awareness to understand uh, that maybe they're not optimizing. And... Uh, yeah, don't have the emotional intelligence to say, yeah, there's something else I could be doing. Um, that's so one one. Go ahead, I'm sorry. What one of the leading researchers on on vertical development? I, I love how he talks about this and even the terminology. He says, in order for vertical development to occur, one needs to go through a heat experience. Right, a heat experience is something where ultimately we are in a position to question our paradigms. Mm-hmm. Now, we can wait for a crisis to occur and then question our paradigms, but we're not necessarily in control of when crises right. occur or not. But we could create a heat experience for ourselves just by opening the doors to allowing ourselves to look inward and question the paradigms that we're holding on to. In fact, today I was, I was speaking with a, a, a psychologist that um, she's doing her doctoral uh, or, or a PhD right now, and she was telling me about her colleagues, her colleagues' dissertation, and I found it really fascinating. So what what they studied was three different groups of people: mm-hmm. those people who have not had trauma, right? Um, and, and they've looked at people who have had trauma but are not willing to acknowledge it, and then people who have had trauma and have have begun acknowledging it. 
And what they find is that the people who operate in the most effective way are, are surely not the people who are, aren't acknowledging their trauma, but it's not the people who have had no trauma. It's the people who have had trauma that are willing to step in and acknowledge mm-hmm. it and see the role that it plays in their life, the role that it's played in the paradigms that they're, that they're facing. Right. And, and I think that that's what I've learned is I've worked with the most really vertically developed people is they have in their course of their vertical development journey developed an ability to step in to the messiness of even their life. Mm-hmm. And even the messiness and the complexity of, of their situations, they allow themselves to question the paradigms that they've been holding on to in the past and ask, are these paradigms, ask the questions, are these paradigms serving right. me? Which they probably are. But even the more important question is, are these paradigms holding me back? Right. And I don't think many people ask that question. No, I, I agree. hundred percent. I mean, it's... It, you know, in the sales perspective, you know, things out companies I work with, uh, clients and so on is, is saying, okay, <laughs> being a little more uh, concrete about it is, is, yeah, have you talked to your buyers about how they're experiencing your sellers? Just as you serve, you know, we're going to feed back to the car dealership. Yeah. And you're surprised how many never have. And it's like, okay, well, hey, the buyers are basically hiring you to help them make a decision, right? That sort of jobs to be done approach to it is how are they experiencing it? So how can, how can, as a individual seller, how do you really know how you're being perceived and received by the buyer? Unless you ask, and just cause you're maybe hitting your numbers. Yeah. You could still be quite suboptimal in that regard. And yeah, unless you ask, unless you're willing to explore. Yeah. You'll never know. And I, you correct me if I'm wrong, but my hunch is, is that they don't ask the buyers those questions because ultimately there's a fear of what they might. Oh, hear. yeah. No, absolutely. Right. Right. And so there's this self-protective fear. That's, sure. that's that fixed mindset coming out. Yeah. Right? Well, and, and right. I think what's well, a fixed mindset and right. This idea that they're not really, uh, I was going to say cognizant. I don't think it's the right word, but they're they don't really understand or believe themselves that they are capable of, of change. So yeah, the fear of being challenged is the fear that, well, I'm locked into this. I, you know, I don't think people can change like themselves. Right. And I'm, I am the way I am type of thing, which is, you know, the very definition of a fixed mindset. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Well, Ryan, I know you gotta, you gotta jut off here. Um, really appreciate you spending the time. So if people, Tell people where they can find the assessment, the mindset assessment, because I, I didn't mean to be bragging earlier, but I, was really, I really like that. Uh, it's the type of thing I think people should should take. So where they can find that and learn more about uh, you and your book. Yeah, it'd be great. Website is the best place, ryangoffordson.com. And I've got a new assessment with my new book. Ah. So it's a vertical development assessment. So um, both of these are designed to give us somewhat objective data about the quality of our mindsets or our altitude in terms of our vertical development. And and with objective data, I think it's just it helps kind of put our foot in Mm -hmm. the door in terms of doing some of this deeper introspective work and questioning the paradigms that we have. So I, I hope it could be beneficial to the, uh, to the listeners. So uh, that's at ryangoffordson.com. And then uh, of course, if anybody wants to connect further, LinkedIn is, is a great place to do so. Perfect. All right, Brian, 
Thank you so much and good luck with the book. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so grateful for your support of this show. And I want to thank our guest, Ryan Gottfriedson, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So thank you for that. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Mm-hmm.